Thanks, Ross. Um, please do keep this passage open. It's going to really help me, and hopefully it will really help you as well, because we're going to stay in it, uh, and we're going to flick through uh, what's going on in the whole of chapter 8 a little bit. So keep it open. That's hopefully going to help us all. Um, I don't know if you've seen the programme, Would I Lie to You? Uh, it's one of those programmes that I think has become a bit more popular in the last couple of years, that is a bit of a mix between uh, a comedy programme and a quiz show. So basically they get some funny people to do some interesting challenges, ask questions and be involved in a bit of a game show. And so it's interesting because uh, what might have been an alright game show becomes quite funny. Now, um, I quite enjoy it. There's one uh, round that I uh, really like. It's called This Is My. Um, and basically, how it works is there's kind of two panels of three people. Uh, they're the two teams. Uh, and in this round, This Is My, someone will come out from backstage and stand in the middle of the stage. They'll stand there. They're not allowed to say anything, uh, but they've got to stay still. And... Um, Basically, three individuals on one team will each get one opportunity to say, this is mine. So, uh, for example, let's say Mario comes out, they give his name, he stands in the middle, and the first person says, this is Mario, he is my builder. And then they'll tell a funny story about Mario and how there was a funny thing that happened when he was building. And then that's the first person. And then the second person will have a go. This is Mario, he is my plumber. Um, and whatever, tell a story. But what's particularly funny is then the other team get opportunities to ask questions of the three individuals that have given a case for who this man is. And so they might ask, or they might even say something like, ah, oh, funny, uh, funny that Mario would be your plumber. Does he have a brother called Luigi? And like, they'll unpack the story. And what's particularly amusing in that moment is how you see some of these people are really good at telling a story and uh, bringing it to life and making something up. And some people really struggle, and it brings out some really funny backwards and forwards. But you see what happens as Mario stands in the middle of the stage. The whole point is they're saying, this is my... The, the other team, to get the question right, to get the points, they've got to go... This is Mario, and he is this. They're asking the question, who is this man? They've got to get the identity right based on the information that comes before them. And if you've been here through uh, the summer, you'll have seen how Mark knits together an account that puts Jesus' identity front and centre. This is the Messiah. Now, if, you are, if you're here for the first time this afternoon, it's brilliant to have you. You'll pick up as we read through Mark chapter 8 that we're getting to the kind of climax of those first eight chapters where under the microscope is Jesus. Mark's started his book with this sentence. He says... The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He's making a case for Jesus' identity. And the disciples, his closest followers, and other people at the time, they're struggling to get the answer to that question. Now here, as we work our way through Mark chapter 8, we get to the point where Peter says, 
you are the Messiah, in verse 29. But, I don't know if you noticed as we read through, this passage is unique. These few verses, verse 22 to verse 26, before the um, Jesus saying you're the Messiah, uh, Peter saying you're the Messiah, they're unique because something happens that doesn't happen with any of the other miracles. Did you notice? Have a look down. It looks like Jesus' miracle doesn't work. Just have a look down, verse 23. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spat on the man's eyes and put, him, put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? Has it worked? Do you see what the man says in reply? He looked up and said, I see people, they look like trees walking around. Now, it's slightly subtle, because he's not quite said, no, Jesus, you don't have that, you haven't, it's not worked. He's been quite subtle about the way he says it, but do you see what he's saying? I can't see properly yet. So, verse 25, once more Jesus puts his hands on the man's eyes, then his eyes were opened. So, there's our kind of first problem. What's going on? Why was the man not able to see after the first time? That's our first kind of problem question. Our second is, well, why has Mark included it here? Why has Mark included it here if we've made it all the way to Mark chapter 8 and we seem to have got the Messiah's identity? Why has he included it? Well, I think we're going to see three things from chapter 8 and particularly these verses. The first is we're all blind. See, through the first half of the book of Mark, we've seen Jesus is supreme. He is in power and authority and status way better, way bigger, way more powerful than anything else that he's come across. Disease, death, nature. The disciples are beginning to grasp this. But do you see how the first half of chapter 8 breaks down? Just have a look down with me because I think this really sets us up for this passage in verse 22 really helpfully. The first half, verses 1 to 13, Jesus performs a miracle, but the Pharisees, the religious people at the time, they... they Don't get who Jesus is. And look at verse 13. uh, Sorry, verse 12. Jesus sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Do you see what's happening? The people are blind to who Jesus really is. That's first the religious people in the first half. Verses 1 to 13. Then... Talking about the same thing, verses 14 to 21, even the followers don't see. Look at verse 21. He said to them, do you still not understand? Do you see what's happening in the build-up to this little passage in verse 22 to 26? Mark's making it clear that the people still don't see who Jesus is. And so, commentators, as they talk about these verses and why they're included, they agree that this, whilst it is a real-life account of a real thing that happened, it's also clearly a picture. 
It's a picture, like a parable. It's a picture of what the people are like. It's a picture of what we are like. Because we are all blind. And so that tells us, along with all the other miracles that Jesus has performed, they're never done for his benefit, but they're done for ours. And so that answers the question. Why is it in two stages? It's to help us see something about us and about Jesus. Why is it done in two stages? It's to help us. We see something about us and about Jesus that it's in two stages. We're all blind. We are, we were all blind to the truth about Jesus. And here we see both the breadth and the depth of spiritual blindness. See this, it's like a picture of what the people are like in seeing Jesus, in understanding what it means to recognise the Messiah. Now here, this story is told in light of both the religious and the irreligious failing to see who Jesus is. See, this spiritual blindness, this not being able to see, recognise who Jesus is, It affects all kinds of people. Not just the Pharisees, even the disciples. Everyone. It's breadth, this problem. Well, spiritual blindness has affected every single one of us. That's its breadth. But we see as well, look, we see the depth of spiritual blindness. We see how hard it is for us to see. See this man? He's healed... But he's not healed. He sees something, but he doesn't see properly. It's a bit like a picture of the disciples. They've seen something of Jesus, but it hasn't quite twigged. That's why, verse 29, who do you say I am? Jesus asked. Peter answers, you are the Messiah. That's why it's like the penny drop moment, because finally it's beginning to slot into place. Sure, they've seen him perform miracles. They've seen him teach with authority. They've seen lots. But they haven't quite understood. You see, our spiritual blindness is deep. We need help to be able to see Jesus for who he is. I don't know if ever you played the kind of game where you were a teenager and you're sat around uh, in a room with some friends and you play those kind of games where um, there's, a, there's a rule and you go around and you try and work out the rule. Now, um, I love the kind, those kind of games where it, you might say something or do something and everyone else in the room is trying to work out what it is. Now, I love them because I... I was really competitive. I really wanted to get it. I wouldn't let anyone tell me. Now, in the end, when I finally got it, I was probably slightly obnoxious. But I loved the game of really trying to work out what it was. Now, if you're slightly wondering what kind of game I'm talking about, let me just kind of illustrate it for you. So, this is one of the games that we used to play. We'd pass around a pair of scissors, sat in a circle, and we'd say, these scissors are open pass them on, and the person who knew the rule would go, yes, that's correct. And then the next person would sit there and they'd shut the scissors, and they'd say, these scissors are open. 
And they'd say, yes, that's correct. And then you're kind of frantically trying to work out, what could it be? What's the rule? How am I going to work it out? And then they'd pass it on and they'd pass it on to the person that um, originated the rule. They, They knew all about it. And they'd say, these scissors are shut. And then they'd pass it on. And then someone would go, these scissors are shut. And then the person would go, no, 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 that's not right. You haven't got the rule. And, and what would happen is one person would get the rule and then they'd be unbearable. You can just imagine, can't you? you know, in fact, you know the kind of person. They'd be unbearable where they'd just be so smug that they've got the rule. Passing around the scissors and you're just getting more furious. What is wrong with these scissors? And then it'd get around to the person that started it and they'd go, that's just a... These scissors are shut. And then they'd pass it on and they'd make it so obvious that they were shutting their legs or opening their legs. And really it wasn't about the scissors in the first place at all. It wasn't actually mattered, it didn't actually matter whether the scissors were open or shut at all whatsoever. You just had to make sure that you said the same as what your legs were, either shut or open. That was it. And you can just imagine how infuriating it was sitting in the circle with a couple of people that knew the answer. And you're looking and you're looking and they're making it even more obvious. And you're looking at it and you're going, I just cannot see. I just cannot see it. And it would get worse and worse. Now, when you got it, for sure, you'd be smug as anything. And, and you can guarantee... You'd do your first one and you'd fold your arms, you'd lay back and yeah, I got it. And you'd just, you know, be a bit smarmy, look at the other people in the, in the circle and go, oh, I can't believe you haven't got it. can't believe it. But you see, the Christian faith, it doesn't allow for that smugness. It, it doesn't. Because we were all spiritually blind. The breadth and depth of spiritual blindness means that not one of us could see. And and not even by our own efforts could we work it out. It's embarrassing, in fact. We just could not, by ourselves, see who Jesus really is. And so, if you do follow Jesus, wow, what a joy... Not to be smug about who he is, but instead hold him out, because it's God who reveals him to us. And look, maybe you're here visiting this afternoon and you wouldn't say you follow Jesus, you're really welcome. Do you know what, as we read these verses, the joy is that the truth about Jesus is available for us all. And if we come to him and ask for help to see God opens blind eyes well what is it that we're blind to we're all blind but what is it that we're blind to see the book of Mark up to this point it accounts it lays out just as Mark sets up it tells us who Jesus is he's the Messiah but it's not just that we're blind to that We're blind to what it means that he's the Messiah. We might know Jesus, 
We might know what he's like. We might know what he's done. We might know all about him. We, we might know him as a moral leader. We might know him as an example. We might know him for lots of things. But do we know him as our saviour? I look around the room just briefly and I'm confident that nearly everyone in the room will know exactly what sun cream is. I say that just because there might, might be a baby around. Nearly everyone in the room knows exactly what sun cream is. I know that. Sun cream, it helps us against the sun's rays. It gives us protection. Now, I, I could be far more... Te- oh, I probably couldn't be that much more technical, but some of you certainly could. Uh, we know what sun cream is, right? We all know what sun cream does. It protects us. But do we know? I was uh, with a friend this week who was slapping on the sun cream. Um, we, were walk- we went for a walk, and they were coated and wore a hat. And they kind of almost apologetically said, I'm putting all the sun cream on because I've seen firsthand people who have suffered really badly with skin cancer. I've actually had someone really close to me that has suffered kind of secondary trauma because of skin cancer. I didn't really know what that meant, secondary trauma because of skin cancer. I didn't really know much about skin cancer at all. Now, I went back and I did a bit of looking on the internet. I tried to work out what was going on. I didn't quite re- work out all the words I was reading. But I read that there's different kinds of skin cancer. That melanoma is probably the most serious. And actually, um, even a melanoma, if it's treated quickly, it can be fine. But a stage 4 melanoma, 60% of people with a stage 4 melanoma will develop uh, cancer in the brain, a tumour that goes into the brain. Now, I kept reading and you could go, you could keep going, and I read, and as you can imagine, I got up the next morning as I'm about to go out, thinking, I should probably put some sun cream on. I'm, I'm going to ask for some sun cream. I'm going to put some sun cream on the tops of my ears because, you know, I knew, but I didn't know. It didn't really change my relationship with the sun. It wasn't informed by the statistics or even the facts. What are we blind to? We're blind to really knowing the sun. We might know Jesus, we might be able to see what he's done for us, but the danger is we don't really let that shape the way in which we speak to God. We don't really let that change the way in which we relate to the Son. I wonder, as you come this afternoon, as we read this passage, what you thought looked at this before, seen what Peter says about Jesus, know he's the Messiah, know what that means, and yet there's a real challenge for us. Whether or not you've come to hear about Jesus for the very first time today, or you've been following him for years, will you today, tomorrow, make it 
your mission to know Jesus, to know him personally, relate to him, informed by what you see about him. Because you see, at our very heart, there's a danger. The Bible says we were born addicted to living without God. We were born addicted to actually rejecting everything that the Messiah offers. All that we've seen in the first few chapters of the book of Mark offer us life with him, forgiveness. But the danger is we reject that. We would so much rather adopt self-sufficiency than accepting our greatest need, the Lord Jesus. Well, what do we need to see? What is it that we need to see to help us? Just look back again at verse 23 onwards. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he spat on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? Do you see anything. Now, we get to that point, there's loads of questions you could ask, couldn't you? What would he have said if he'd said, what would Jesus have done if he'd said, yeah, I can see everything, I can see clearly now? Or, what is this man's status at that moment? If this is a picture of coming to life in Jesus by seeing him clearly, in that moment, where's he at? Now, we could get stuck asking questions like that, but I don't think that's the point. We've seen in Romans, haven't we, the really helpful, clear-cut definitions of what it means to be saved, to go from a place of standing before God guilty because of what we've done, to going to a place of being justified, declared right because of what Jesus has done. That is a definite move from one place to the other. That happens at one point. We move from death to life when we come to trust in Jesus. That's been really helpful as we've looked at Romans. But you see here what this helps us see. In our experience, it's not always like that in how we feel. I wonder even if you look back on the last five, ten years, whether you can pick out a moment where you pass from death to life. Or, can you pick out many moments where you said, please help me to see Jesus. Please help me to see. What is it that we need? We need help to see clearly. And so, this man... As he comes before Jesus, he honestly asks for help in seeing clearly. Look, what does that really mean for us? Really, whether you wouldn't say you trust in Jesus or you've been trusting Jesus a long time. When you wake up tomorrow, will you ask for help in seeing Jesus clearly? Will you relate to him based on what you see? Because we can be sure if that is what happens in us. If that is what we do for the rest of our days, we'll be trusting Jesus. We'll continue to see Jesus more clearly. 
And maybe in years, gone, in years to come, you'll be able to look back and say, ah, oh, can't believe I didn't see that clearly at that point. But we'll be able to see Jesus more clearly. Do you see Mark as he pulls it together, as he pulls up to this answer, as Peter answers, you are the Messiah. Do you see what he's doing as he throws in this story? It's all about seeing Jesus clearly. We need help to see him clearly, and we need to relate to him. We need help to relate to him. Look, as this week unfolds, maybe a different week as we're still kind of out of routine, end of August, going into September, will you be like this man? And before Jesus, ask for help to see him more clearly. Will you make it your mission to relate to him based on who he is? what you've seen of him. Maybe you'd spend time revisiting what we've looked at in the book of Mark. Seeing who Jesus is, each day reminding yourself of who it is that you might follow. Because you see, when Peter replies, verse 29... Who do you say I am? Jesus answered, asked him. Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus, he's happy. He's happy that Peter's grasped it. It's taken all this time of ups and downs. Jesus, he gets that he is the Messiah. And when we grasp that Jesus is our Messiah, a personal relationship that informs what we do, we can have complete confidence going forward that he is our saviour. He's our rescuer. He delivers us and he helps us to see. Let me pray.